Sometimes Sarah and I think that Matt still is... No, we won't, uh, we won't go there. We won't go there. So we, we, we spent 22 years at STF, and for 15 of those, as Craig said, I was a senior elder or pastor. And then we left at the end of 2013, 2013 handed over to Ben, uh, went to Dickens Heath Church, but um, I, was, I was 65 at Christmas, and I felt it's, it's, it's time to try and retire properly. I've been promising my wife this for five years, you know, and I... Time to retire. So, so we're, going to, we, we're going to go and live in Tewkesbury uh, in a couple of months' time, but we've got a new house there. It isn't quite yet ready. So we've temporarily moved to Worcester, and that's, that's where we're living at the moment. But it's, it's lovely to come back. It's lovely to come back. So um, in telling this story, obviously, uh, you know, there's a, there's a personal aspect to it. I'll, I'll try and bring out some of that. Within the bridge project itself, I, I had a particular responsibility for the kind of the financial planning of it. So I'm going to talk a bit about money. Jesus likes to talk about money. So it's not a subject to be squeamish about. So I'm going to talk about the money. But just on a personal note, when I, when I be, first became an elder, not the leader, when I first became an elder, I, I got to do a sermon series. And for reasons I can't remember, I decided to do a series on Nehemiah. And uh, the story of Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament, he, he was what we would nowadays call a senior civil servant in the court of King Artaxerxes of Persia. Uh, but this was during the period of the Babylonian exile. Most of the Jews had been taken to Babylon, the, the country had been devastated, Jerusalem had been left in ruins, there were a few Jews left behind. Some of them had returned, they'd started rebuilding the temple, but the city was a shambles. And, and Jews came back from Jerusalem and they met Nehemiah at the court and they said to him, you know, the, the city, the walls are down, the gates are burned, you know, the city's vulnerable to its, its enemies. It's, it's, it's not great, Nehemiah. And, and the, the scripture says that, that Nehemiah was filled with compassion for the people and he wept and he fasted and he prayed and he prayed this prayer. Uh, o Lord, let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant me mercy in the sight of the king to rebuild Jerusalem. And Nehemiah is an interesting book because in order to accomplish his project, he had to get the permission of the king, the secular king, the pagan king. He had to deal with those authorities in order to complete his project. That was one of the memories that somehow lingered in my mind after that series. And then there's this wonderful verse in chapter 2. So he goes back to Jerusalem and he, he walks around the city, he sees what a mess it is, but he believes that God has called him to rebuild it. And it says, Then I told the people of the hand of my God which was good upon me, and also the king's words that he had spoken to me to allow him to come back. And the people said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. You know, I love that. I love that. I love that verse. The people said, let us rise up and build. Because Nehemiah couldn't do it on his own, could he? He couldn't go, one man couldn't go round. The people said, let us rise up and build. And chapter 3 of Nehemiah, 
It's a great chapter. You probably won't enjoy reading it because it's got loads and loads of the names of the Jews. You know, you've got all the awkward names you know, that you don't really know how to pronounce. And it's got all these places in Jerusalem that you've never heard of. But if you, if you understand the chapter, if you read the commentaries, you realise in chapter 3 of Nehemiah there's this wonderful description of how the ward is rebuilt section by section in an anti-clockwise direction all the way around. And all the people built a section of the wall. In fact, in some verses it says, and so-and-so built the wall opposite his house. That's a lovely touch, isn't it? He built the wall opposite his house. So Nehemiah, I mean, at this time, we had no thoughts about a church building. It wasn't on the radar. There was no, you know, I had no, I had saw no relevance to this passage when I spoke on it. But it stayed in my mind. It stayed in my mind. So, you see, in the 1990s, we as a church met in schools. We met in Alderbrook School. We met, then we met at the Shirley Community Centre. We met at Shirley Heath School. Uh, we had the old bridge. We had the old bridge. Do you remember the old bridge? Yes. Yeah, it's about, it's about 100 yards that way, isn't it, where there's a car park at the moment. We had the old bridge next to the British Legion. And this was a great facility... But it wasn't big enough for us on a Sunday morning. You could only, in the main hall, it could only take about 50 to 60 people. So that was it. And do you remember, who remembers walking into the old bridge? Uh, yes. Amen. Who remembers that? That was the old bridge. So, but around 2000, the year 2000, we got a notification from the council that they had a plan to redevelop the heart of Shirley. And as part of that, they said the redevelopment would involve knocking down your bridge but we'll give you some compensation for it. So we thought, but they said, we're still in consultation. And I mean, the heart of Shirley was one of these awful, drawn-out planning, consultation, review, re- I went on for years, as you'll discover. Um, so we started to think in 2000, well, what should we do? Because we need a building, we'll get some money for that, but we don't want a like-for-like replacement because it's not big enough. So we went through various kind of feasibility studies. We, we looked at what other churches had done. We, we looked, was, is there any premises in Solihull? Yeah, very difficult to find a premise. We looked at warehouses on Cranmore Boulevard. Um, and, but we came to the conclusion that we, we, we need a new building. And we had a church meeting in March 2002 which kind of signed up that we will commit to finding a new building. But for 18 months, nothing happened. No, nothing happened. And then in late 2003, um, we heard through a lady in the church and via her husband that the print factory that was on this site had gone into liquidation and the administrators were selling it. A developer had put in an offer but hadn't completed on it. So the, the, admin, the, the liquidators were saying, is anybody else interested? So we thought, well, this would be a great site, wouldn't it? It's right in the middle of Shirley, it's on the park, it's off the high street... How about getting this property? So, we prayed about it. We prayed about it. And in particular, we had one prayer meeting at the Old Bridge. And what, the thing I remember about this meeting, where is Pete Upton? Pete Upton. In this prayer meeting, this was such a powerful word. This proved to be such a powerful word. Pete read out this really obscure passage in 1 Chronicles. I mean, 1 Chronicles, for goodness sake. You know, I mean, how many people are expert on 1 Chronicles? Pete read this passage, and this is where King David 
was wanting to build the temple in Jerusalem. And he was looking for a site. And there was this site owned by a man called Ornan, who owned a threshing floor. A thresh- that's a story in itself, of a threshing floor. And so David said to Ornan, well, David, if you want to build a temple, have my land. Have my land. And David said to him in this verse, and this is what Pete read, King David said to Ornan, I shall surely buy the threshing floor for the full price, for I will not take what is yours for the Lord, or offer a burnt offering which costs me nothing. I I shall surely buy it for the full price. So a, a few weeks later, we were in a trustees meeting, and we were deciding, so shall we put in an offer, and if so, for how much? And I said to Alan Price, is Alan here? No. I said to Alan, Alan, what is the full price for this building? And he said, I think its commercial value is £400,000. So we said, well, that's what we'll offer for it, £400,000. And we'd almost finished the meeting when Paul Douglas, who was in the church at the time, and the trustee, said, you know something, 400000 is a very round number. What, what if the developer offered 400000 We thought, oh, that's smart. Why don't we offer 405000 So we had to put in a sealed bid to the liquidators. So we put in a sealed bid, £405,000. And a couple of weeks later, when it came to the day, a couple of us went to the offices of our solicitor because they were going to ring our solicitor. And we sat there and the phone rang. I remember this moment. <laughs> a phone rang and we picked up and they said, your offer has won. Your offer has won. So, we offered the full price because of that word that Pete brought. That Pete brought. So, we'd agreed to pay £405,000 and we had to complete in six weeks but we only had £40,000 in the bank. (laughs) So we thought, oh right, we need to find £365,000 in six weeks. So, we had let's say 30,000, because we thought we can't completely empty the church bank account. We had 30,000 pounds. Then we had Rev Books. Who remembers Rev Books? We drove past it this morning on the way here. It's now called the Lola, it was the anti, it's now called Lola Aesthetics. So we had the bookshop, and we thought, well, we could sell the bookshop and move the bookshop into this site. That would raise 175,000 pounds. Well, then we thought, then we said to the church, well, well, how much would you be willing to give to buy it? Because if we knew that, then we could look for a mortgage for the rest. So at the beginning of December, we took up what we called a pledge offering, where everybody filled in a form saying, this is what I will be willing to give in four or five weeks' time. And this pledge offering came to £100,000. £100,000. So that meant that all we needed was to go to the bank and ask for a £100,000 mortgage. And we had such a nice man at the Bank of Scotland, didn't we? We had such a nice man. And he said, yes, we'd be very happy to lend you £100,000. So, there we go. We had £405,000. But then we took up an offering. And when we took up the actual offering, that, morning, that Sunday morning in January 2004, it came to £170,000. 
Well, what a morning that was. What a morning that was. And not only that, you see, we couldn't sell the bookshop in six weeks. So we had to take an additional loan with a collateral of the bookshop being sold. So the bank offered to lend us some on that basis. But we said to people in the church, would you give us a short-term loan till we've sold the bookshop? So a number of people in the church came forward and said, yes, we'll loan money. £73,000 was lent by people in the church, interest-free, till we had sold the bookshop. So, we bought this factory. <laughs> and this was the view of it if you came down the side of Kent here, into the cover. This is what you saw. Uh, that gate. And then that was the front door. That was the front door that we went through. And behind there was the yard. Um, and we thought, at the time, you see, we thought, in our naivety, we'll redecorate it. <laughs> we'll redecorate it. And um, we redecorated a couple of the offices, and then we did slightly weird things, like put down that bit of carpet. <laughs> and we put, a, we put a cross on the wall. That was very spiritual, wasn't it? You know, we, put a, we, put a, we put a cross on the wall. So... Um, but we thought, well, we probably need to get an architect in to have a look at this, because it probably is going to involve more than painting the walls. So we, we, we took on a guy called Chris Gellion, and he started work. And um, one other memory I have of this time, in Easter 2004, we weren't in, you really using the building. On Easter 2004, on Good Friday morning, we kind of stood here and we took communion. Do you remember that? We took communion on this site as a kind of act of dedication. And um, I'm, not, I'm not into symbolic things really, but I can remember at the end of the communion we had a little bit of wine left in the jug and I remember pouring it on the ground. Um, to symbolise that we had cleansed this place in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, so Chris Gellion was doing this stuff, you know, we were thinking about you know, how it would all work. And then in the summer of 2004, a couple of crucial things happened. Um, first of all, the architect became a Christian. Wasn't that a wonderful thing? Mainly through John Bragg. Mainly through working with John Bragg. And then, with the bookshop, we found that a, a, a Christian bookshop chain, St Andrews, were willing to buy our bookshop. We were willing to buy the bookshop. What a great solution that was. They would buy the bookshop for the £175,000. But in buying the bookshop, we had to make the staff redundant. And that was a tough moment. That was a tough moment. I mean, some of them were quite happy to be made redundant, actually. But, but making people redundant was part of this project. And talking that through with them and agreeing how we would handle it. But we sold the bookshop. And then, as a, as a result of Chris Gellion's work, he sort of came to us and he said, look, this building that you bought, it's got an asbestos roof. And the brickwork is only a single brick thick. And 
you, you're going to have to do some major, major work on this to make it a usable public building. And you might be better knocking it down and starting again. Well, so we said, well, how much might that cost, Chris? And he said, well, 850 to 900,000 pounds. I remember Chris say, Craig saying to me at this point, he said, Andrew, never believe estimates given to you by architects. <laughs> yeah, he was under by 50%, as it turned out. So we thought, OK, but then we had another problem, you see, because with the heart of Shirley development, there was a freeze on development in the centre of Shirley. So it seemed we couldn't do anything. But then in August 2004, the council and the developer came to us and said, this idea you've got for your nice new building, we'd be happy for that to go ahead. We'd be happy for that to go ahead. So we thought, oh, so we could get planning permission and we could put the building up. So we had this meeting in the autumn of 2004 where we presented this situation to the church and we said, so... The idea, folks, is having bought it, we're going to knock it down. And we're going to build a new one, and this is how we could do it, we think, financially. And the church said, OK, let's do it. But, but I remember towards the end of this meeting, somebody said, so, Andrew, you do you think at the start we should have realised that we might need to rebuild it? And I said, at the start, I don't think I had the faith to rebuild it. But I do now. And, I, and as I said that, I remember looking around the room and I thought, that's where most of you are too. We didn't have the faith at the start. I mean, we thought we'd, we'd had heroic faith for 405,000. Now we were looking at well over a million. But we had the faith. And it was one of those, what I call, Kairos moments. Oh, there's a bookshop, by the way. Once it had been sold to St Andrews. We had one of those Kairos moments. The, the Greek word Kairos is the word for time. The Kairos Cafe at Shirley Baptist. But it's time not in the sense of chronological time. It's time in the sense of a moment of time, often a decisive moment of time. And this verse from Esther somewhat plucked out a context. When, we won't go to the background here, but there's a verse in Esther which says, who knows if you have come to the kingdom for a time, a kairos time such as this. And that was it. It was, it was a moment where we thought, this is it, we are going to do something new and beyond our expectation, but in faith. We're going to do it in faith. And, and the, the consciousness of the faith in the church to do it was, was, was tangible to me. And I thought, God will bless it because we're doing it in faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, it says in Hebrews. But with faith... You will please God. With faith, you will please God. So I thought, we are going to please God because we're going to do it in faith. So, and, and I, I can't 
I can't get across to you, really. It's, it's, it, I can't get across to you in words the kind of the energy and the hope that was in the church at that time. You know, there was just a buzz about it. There was just a buzz about it. And um, so, so we, 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 we I'll, I'll go on to the money in a minute. We, we worked out a financial plan and uh, we, we, we found a builder and we completed the plans. Uh, during this period, oh, I'll come back to it. Let me just say this. So the first sign that went up on our new church was demolition in progress. Demolition in progress. And, uh, and then the heavy duty stuff moved in. And, um, and that's what we were left with at the end. A little voice in my head said at this point, Andrew, are you, you've just persuaded that church to spend £405,000 on that building, and that's what they've got for it. You know? <laughs> are you sure you're doing the right thing here? You get these little voices during projects like this. But that's what it was. And, and when they cleared that away, that was our church, ground zero. Ground zero. But we then... You know, as, I mean, so much went on during this period, it's impossible to cover it all. But one of the things that we did was we, we had vision sessions. Craig, you remember? Craig, Craig led those vision se sessions as to what do we want in this building. And out of these sessions, one of the things we produced was a vision statement. Craig was into vision statements, you know. So we had a vision statement, but this was our vision statement. To further the vision of our church by creating an attractive and accessible multi-purpose environment that welcomes people of all ages and backgrounds and will help the church contribute to the spiritual, moral, social and physical well-being of the community through providing a meeting place for worship, friendship, prayer, training and practical help. Amen. Is that still your vision? Is it? Are you living that? Are you living that? Amen. So there's a vision statement that, what is it? What is it? 14, 15 years on, isn't it? We're still living that vision. You are still living that vision. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And, um, and of course, we, the, the, as I said, we had to go through various things with the council. And the council issued a report about our development. And they said this. They didn't tend to overstate these things, but they said the design of the building fronting onto the park assists in improving the quality of the public realm. This development would enable this part of the town centre to front onto the park rather than turn its back on it. They liked it. <laughs> they, li they liked it. The, as it were, the king approved it. The king approved the mission. The king approved the mission. So we were... Um, so, before that, of course, we were, we were having to raise the money. We were having to raise the money. And early on in this process, there's Paul Belcher, right? I remember this is thing, Paul. Early on in this process, Paul Belcher came across something, well, I don't know what you found in the local paper, Paul, which said that there'd been a building development down the Solihull Road on the Lawnswood Estate, and they'd knocked down a building used by a youth building, and the developer had, had to give to Solihull Council, was it called a Section 28 or something? A Section 28, I can't remember, anyway. But the developer had given the council a figure of £135,000 to invest in a new youth project in Shirley. Well, like four or five years had gone past and nobody had found a youth project to invest in in Shirley, but we had a project. <laughs> we had a project for young people. 
So we went, to the, we went to the council. In fact, the local council was a guy called John Reeve, a really nice guy. He was so supportive of us. And we went and said, we've got a project that we could, we could put £135,000 into this building. And I, I remember we went to a meeting of the relevant committee at the council where I did a short presentation. And just to... Um, I remember taking a dozen of our young people with us so they could see the young people who were going to benefit from our project. So we got 135,000 from Lawnswood. We went to the big lottery fund because we thought we could get a government grant and all government grants at that time were administered through the lottery. That raised a few question marks, but anyway, we got through that. Uh, and the lottery gave us over 200,000 pounds. So that's why we were able to start the building. And um, so quickly, this is what started to happen. The diggers came in, the cranes came in, the portal frame started to go up. The walls went up. The, the front of the building was put together. The windows started to go in. That's the shot from that direction as it comes together. There's the entrance hall coming together. There's, there's, there's that back wall all coming together. So it was, it was happening. It was happening. And um, by December 2006, uh, we were ready to open it. We were ready to open it. And... Um, just before Christmas, we had an open day and an open week, and the mayor came and opened our building. And I got my photo in the local paper with the mayor. One of my precious mementos of the time. And it said, a solid whole congregation will celebrate Christmas in their stylish new home. Woo, woo. Which was officially opened by solid whole mayor John Reeve. Solihull Christian Fellowship have now moved into their purpose-built new home on the site of the former print works. Work on the £850,000 church and community centre began, blah, blah, blah. Um, uh, phase two is yet to happen. Um, church leader Andrew Simpkins said, we believe our new building will be an exciting asset for people in Shirley and the wider community. It will enable us to take forward to a new level our work as a church and the projects that we are already running to support children and young people, the elderly and families. Andrea Lowndes, project leader at the bridge, said, I'm, oh, oh sorry, and our, part of the opening will be that on Christmas Eve we will hold carols in the park at 5.30, followed by mulled wine and mince pies in the bridge at 6.30. Andrea Lowndes, project leader at Bridge, said, I'm really hoping that this will become a new community tradition in Shirley. You got that? That was a prophecy you got right. Uh, so, we, we opened it, and, um, but we only had the hall. We only had the hall and the toilets and the, and the den. And, that's, and we had the heating and the plumbing and the roof. But it was obvious that this doesn't really work. We still had the old bridge because the heart of Shirley development was still grinding along at an incredibly slow pace and we didn't have the money. So uh, we thought, look, this, this isn't sustainable. And so we went to the developer and said, look, what, what, I know you haven't got full permission yet, but what if, you sold, if we sold the bridge to you now? How much would you give for us? Give, it, give, give us for it. So instead of giving us 400,000 whenever, they gave us 200,000 now. And we decided to take the 200,000 now. But, uh, so we got the money, we found a really good fit-out company, which did the whole of the fit-out of the rest of the building for 350,000 pounds. Fantastic. So by, um, by August 2007, it was all done. It was done. It was all done. 
And um, so that, I won't go through that. So we, that was done. So the, some of the activity room upstairs, it was looking like that. It was looking like that. And then we had the floor and the walls and the ceiling. And, after, and then we had this. Hallelujah. Then we had this. I have to say the outside was a bit cleaner then than it is now. I, I think you could do a bit of cleaning job, if I, if I may say so. So it, it's in that pristine state again. Yeah, in that pristine state. So... So, how did we do this? How did we do this? Well, this is how the church, and the church at the time was 100, about 150 adults. So we need to realise that. We talk about the church, we are talking about 150 adults, about 60 children and young people. At the, during this period, the regular giving of the church was around 140 to 150,000 pound a year mark. That's what our regular giving, tithes, gift day came to each year. As I said to you, in January 2004, when we bought it, we took an offering for 170,000. Then in order to start that first phase, we took another offering a year later. That raised 160,000. Then to complete that phase and to pay for the second phase, we took another offering. I think it was September 2006. That raised another 170,000. And then we took a final offering to complete it at the end of 2007. In total, including the gift, that came to £592,000 that the church gave. People gave, even without the gift aid, people gave half a million pounds in four years. In, in every year of those four years, we doubled our giving as a church. Who, who gave... Who gave into that giving? Stand up if you gave to that giving. Stand up, go on, stand up. All the people who gave. Thank you, yeah. So all of you people sitting down, you owe these people. You owe these people for the fact that you are sitting here this morning. Amen. So... As I said, we ended up with a total project of over 1.8 million pounds. Not 405, 1.8 million pounds. So there were our church bank account reserves that we put into it, our church giving, the sale of the bookshop and the old bridge, the mortgage, which was a maximum at one point of 450,000. We raised near a third of a million pound in grants. And because we had so much money going through the account in those four years, we earned a lot of interest. <laughs> we earned a lot of interest. 1.8 million pounds. 1.8. I still, even to this day, sometimes I sit, I, I mean, I've worked out the numbers for this slide, you know, but last one, I, I still think, how, how did we raise 1.8 million pounds as a church? You know, I'm still amazed, really. What did we learn from it? Briefly, let me... What, what, I learned some things about leadership. I think many of us in positions of responsibility in the church at that time learned about leadership. I remember one church leader saying to me, Andrew, you know, doing a project like that, you know, I've seen a lot of church building projects divide churches. But at SCF, you've held it together. And we did hold it together. Hallelujah. Like the, the unity of the people here at the time was 
absolutely indispensable to this project succeeding. But things I learned about leadership, you have to earn people's trust. You have to earn people's trust. The trust of members in the church, the trust of the council, the trust of the people who gave us grants. You, have to, you, you can't ask for trust, you have to earn trust. And it takes time. It, it takes time to earn trust. You earn, let me go, you, you know, trust, you earn trust by honesty. You, you earn trust by, at times, vulnerability as to your own feelings. You, you, uh, you have to earn trust by competence, that you know what you're doing. But because we trusted one another, as well as trusting God, <laughs> we trusted God, but we trusted one another that we could do this. We had the courage to step out in faith. Now, you never wake up in the morning feeling courageous. I, I assure you, I've never done that. I've, I've never woken up in the morning feeling courageous. But, but courage isn't feeling courageous. Courage is feeling your doubts and your uncertainties and doing it anyway. And doing it anyway. And this is one of the lessons, I remember this so clearly sitting in my study sometimes, how in God's sight faith and careful stewardship of money work together. As I said before, I, I knew so much that we were doing this in faith, but did I have an Excel spreadsheet with all the lines on it and with a calendarised cash flow? And I, I knew at any point exactly where we were on the budget and on the fundraising. And I, I remember once always saying to the Lord, Lord, you know, I'm doing this in faith, but boy, am I keeping this spreadsheet going. <laughs> And, the, and I just felt the Lord say to me, Andrew, these two things go together. These, you know, I will bless your faith, but I expect you to be responsible over the numbers. I expect you to be... And we, we did. We had faith and we had responsibility. This wasn't some kind of, oh yeah, we'll believe God anyway. You know, we had faith, but we knew what was our responsibility. And then three, finally, just three things for the church. And I'd, I'd, I'd struggle to know what to say here because you could all say something. Every, every one of you were here at the time. You could share your lessons of what this meant to you, what, what you think it meant to the church. But you can see this is one of the lessons. A godly vision inspires unity and generosity. It really does, doesn't it? It, it, it amazingly, amazingly, when God somehow put that on our hearts... He, he breathed into us a unity and a generosity of spirit to make it happen. Extraordinary. I, it was extraordinary. I'm, I, I often said to people, you know, I've done some big, big projects in business and government, but this was the most exciting project I've ever done in my life. Because of that, because of that spirit that breathed through it. And we proved what Jesus said, give and it shall be given to you. We gave and we got this. We got this. We got this. Not just in 2007, but in 2019 and in the years to come. And, and we not only got a building, but as I said, it, it left, in those of us who were part of it, a legacy of faith and hope, wisdom, gratitude, all those things, isn't it? All that. It, you cannot outgive God. Amen. You cannot outgive God. And lastly, I would say this. You may remember from that 
vision statement. That, and this was so much in the heart of the church. We weren't building this church just for ourselves. We weren't building a church so that we could all come here on a, we could just come here on a Sunday morning and have a lovely time and our children could go to a nice group, you know, and how wonderful that would be. We, it wasn't just for us, it was for others. We wanted it to be a facility for the community. We wanted it to bless the community. We wanted it to reach the community. We wanted to see the community come into this building, not just the church come into this building, but to see the community come into this building. Jesus said, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life for others. And if a church is going to live in the spirit of Jesus Christ, it has to be a church for others. To be a church for others. That is what the Spirit blesses when we are a church for others. So, I pray those things are with you and in you and that even if you joined after that time, you, you through your contact with the people in the church, you would inherit, would inherit some of this passion and some of this faith and will live out the vision. Amen? Amen. God bless these people so it may be true. Amen. Amen. Amen.